it's good to see everybody. My name is Justin. If you are, have been coming or it's your first time and you haven't uh, met me yet, then I would love to meet you. Please come up to me after service. Just say hi. I love meeting uh, new people that are coming. We're a new church, uh, so I'm just happy to meet uh, everybody that comes in and uh, grateful for all of you that come. We have been in a series that's been a lot of fun. We've been going through this series in the entire, for the entire summer uh, where we have a few weeks left in it, uh, but for the first couple of months, we we're just kind of looking at Jesus's life, and the, the series is called Jesus, the God-Man Who Dwelt Among Us. Uh, the first month, we looked at the parables that Jesus taught, some of these, uh, these parables that he taught. Then the second month, we looked at some significant moments in Jesus's life, some uh, times while he was on earth that were very painful, very tough times uh, that he went through that kind of really showed us his humanity. And then this month, what we are looking at is significant conversations that Jesus has with people. Uh, and so last week, we had the first one. We talked about the rich young ruler. Uh, and then this week, we're going to be looking at the conversation that Jesus has with Zacchaeus. Uh, and if you haven't listened to last week, I, I um, would encourage you to do that because uh, we're going to be talking a lot about last week this week. Uh, Zacchaeus, the conversation that Jesus has with Zacchaeus is actually right after uh, the conversation he has with the rich young ruler. And so there's a lot of parallels between that conversation and this conversation. And so when we read the scripture today, if you were here last week, I just want you to kind of mentally compare and contrast some of the things uh, that we learned last week while we're reading scripture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10 today. Uh, and so you can read along with me on the screen. It says, uh, starting verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, for he has gone in to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So there are some stark similarities and contrasts between uh, the rich young ruler, and Zacchaeus. And so first, I, I want to look at these two different characters, because it's going to be important, whether you were here last week or not, to kind of get the grasp on who these two people were. And first, I want to talk about Zacchaeus. Um, he was a tax collector. There's a few things that define him in this. And the first thing that we see is he was a tax collector, uh, which basically meant this. He made a living through extortion, through betrayal and through cheating. You know, that sounds like a great profession. Um, but not only was he a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. 
And he was the chief tax collector in this city, Jericho, uh, which historians believe at that time was a trading hub, which means he made a lot of money. He was El Jefe tax collector. He was the man. This guy had all the money coming in. And the thing about the tax collectors was this. Um, what happened is how the Romans, the, the Romans at this time controlled Israel. And so they were seen as kind of a foreign oppression. Uh, and what they would do is to kind of make sure that they got all their taxes in, they would sell the contract for taxes for the year. And what they would do is they would try to sell it to the natives uh, so that when they went and collected the taxes from the people, they would know kind of who owed, who was trying to get by, who maybe, uh, you know, was trying, you know, saying they only had this much, but they had this much. You know, as a foreign invader, as a foreign oppressor, they didn't know the land as good as the natives did. So they would try to sell these contracts to the natives. And then what the natives would do is that they would go and they would collect the taxes from the people. But how they would make their money back is they would overcharge people. And so it actually became this very kind of scheming, very um, treacherous way to make money. And what they would do is if you didn't pay the amount that I told you you had to pay, then I had the full weight of the Roman Empire behind me. I could lock you up, I can get you beaten, I can, whatever happened, happened. And so they were able to extort money out of people and grow incredibly rich from doing this. Yet, obviously, uh, they were seen as traitors from their people. Their people hated them. Whoever was a tax collector then was basically seen as part of the oppressor, as seeing the person who has betrayed and someone who is now oppressing their own people. Uh, you know, it's funny. He was also short. I was trying to figure out why Luke threw this in there. Uh, you know, because when you, you don't normally get these kinds of descriptions of people. They didn't... The New Testament doesn't normally talk about physical descriptions of people. But, and so when it is thrown in there, there's kind of a reason for it. And I was trying to figure out why did Luke throw it in here? And the only thing, you know, after reading and kind of thinking and about this, the only thing that I can think of is he just wanted to stick it to Zacchaeus. Like, he wanted you to really not like this guy. And I'm a little offended, I must say, by that. You know, I'm not the tallest guy in the world. Uh, you know, if you ever gone to a concert, you understand the plight of short people if you are short. Uh, because all the tall people, you just hate them at those moments. They can see with a clear view what is happening in front. Yet me, I'm like, kind of find that angle, you know? Like when I go to the movie theater, I got to make sure I don't sit behind a tall guy. Because then I see ahead, you know, the entire movie that I'm watching. And it's really annoying. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit mad at Luke about this. But I think he wanted you to look down at Zacchaeus, literally, like in every way possible. It's like, this guy was a tax collector. He was a cheat. This dude was short. Like, you just don't like this guy. Like, he, right? <laughs> and so, I don't know about this, Luke, uh, you know? But okay, we'll take it. He was, and so this man, he was hated by the Jewish people. And, you know, when I, when I think about this, I don't know if anybody has seen the most recent Planet of the Apes, and this this really isn't a spoiler. If you saw the second one, then you're going to see the, the third one, or you already know about this. But there, if you watch Planet of the Apes, there all the apes, they kind of get together, um, and they are now in this kind of friction with humans. But there are some apes that don't agree with where the direction of the collective apes are going. And so they actually go work for the humans to kill 
the apes. And the humans call these apes, they call them donkeys. And so this is kind of how the tax collectors were seen in the Jewish culture. They were seen in the third movie, War of the Planet of the Apes. They were seen as the donkeys. They were seen as the betrayers. They were seen as the, the ones that, how could you do this to your own people, to your own culture? And the last kind of identifier that Luke gives us here is that Zacchaeus was rich. He was a lot of rich. He was very rich. He was wealthy. Um, and, you know, because Jericho was the trading hub and there was that extra kind of money coming in, you know, tax collectors were already known as being wealthy people. But in a city like this, he was extra wealthy. And then on top of that, he was the chief of that. And so this guy, he had money. When you think of, you know, we're in a city where you know some people that have money, right? Their, their names are on everything. Yeah, I think of like Bloomberg, you know, it's, this guy has money. He's one of the wealthiest people. This is kind of the realm that Zacchaeus was in. And so him and the rich young ruler, they're actually different in every single way except for one. They're both rich. And so last week we talked about the rich young ruler, and I want to recap uh, because to fully appreciate what happens here in this passage, in this kind of uh, conversation that Jesus has with Zacchaeus, we have to appreciate what happened just a couple of chapters before this. And so with the rich young ruler, there's a few identifiers that are given to this man. And one of them is this, that the guy was also extremely rich. But what was different about him and Zacchaeus is that the rich young ruler was very pious. He was very religious. He followed the law to a T. When Jesus rattled off the law to the rich young ruler, he was able to say after that, I have followed these from my youth. And so this man, he was a law abider. And then on top of being a law abider, what the Jewish people would hope for is when they followed the law that they would be blessed by God. That was an indication of their culture of being a law follower, of being good in the eyes of God, was that they would have a lot of money, that they would have wealth. And so they, this man not only followed the law, but it seems like he had God's blessing on his life. It seems like that because he had a lot of wealth to go along with his law following. And so in their eyes, this man followed the law and God made that public knowledge for him by blessing him financially. Very different from Zacchaeus. You know, he, his wealth uh, was a different type of status for him. His lifestyle was a different type of lifestyle, one of religious, of being in the light, of somebody that prided himself in being a good person. And so the religious man, he comes to talk to Jesus, what we would call a good person, and he asked for eternal life. And if anyone deserves heaven, it is this religious man. If there's anybody good enough outside of God, it is this religious man, this law file follower, this one who is blessed by God. But Jesus looks at his heart, he searches his heart, and he finds greed. And he tells the rich young ruler, he says, you have to give away all that you have to the poor. And the rich young ruler turns away because he can't let go of his possessions. He can't let go of his material wealth. And he is sad as he walks away. 
The wealth that was supposed to be his symbol of blessing was supposed to be the God-giving thing in his life was actually his curse. It was the thing that kept him from eternal life. It was the thing that had taken his heart, the, the highest, most places of his heart over God. So after this happens with the rich young ruler, Jesus declares, it is impossible for the rich man to make it into heaven. Not just this rich man, but rich people. And so the, the Jewish people at this point are blown away. What they had always thought was a surefire way to make it into heaven, follow the law, and have God bless you because of it by having riches. If, if those people can't even make it to heaven, then who can make it into heaven? And Jesus makes another declaration. What is impossible for man is made possible by God. So Jesus says that, yes, it's impossible for man, even the best of you, the one who follows the law, the one that is blessed in, in every way that you can fathom what the word blessing can possibly mean, he can't make it, and it's impossible for him, but because of God, he makes it possible. And Jesus, a little after this conversation, then meets this other rich guy, enters Zacchaeus to the story. He is not good. He is not a law follower. And he is rich, the very type of person that Jesus just said is impossible for them to make it into heaven. Now the crowd and disciples, they're with Jesus and they're looking at Zacchaeus and Jesus is talking to him and they're thinking, this guy is definitely not going to heaven. Like, if there's one thing that we learned from the last person, it's that he didn't make it into heaven. This guy's not making it into heaven. No, it's not happening. But let's read verses 5 and 6 again, and Jesus says this. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Something crazy happens here. Zacchaeus receives Jesus with joy, which is an indication that he has received salvation. When you receive Jesus and you have joy, that is an indication in your life that you have received salvation. And if you're kind of unsure, did Zacchaeus really get saved? Then just a little bit later, Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house. He declares in front of everybody, Zacchaeus is saved. The religious man doesn't receive Jesus and he walks away in sadness. Yet Zacchaeus receives Jesus and he has a very different response. Whereas the rich young ruler, even though he was pious, even though he was religious, even though he is what we would call good, his wealth took priority over Jesus. But with Zacchaeus, when Jesus comes and stays in his house and Zacchaeus receives him and he receives him with joy. Something happens in his heart. The good news hits him and he realizes that the greatest thing in my life is not what I have, but it's the one who has saved me. And so Zacchaeus has this insane response to Jesus. He does two things. He gives away 50% of what he owns. 
And then anyone that he has defrauded in the past, he gives them four times the amount, 400% of what he's taken from them. The reason why this is crazy is because the law only required 10% of what we have. The law only requires 10% of our possession to give to the church. Yet Zacchaeus, in his response to the gospel here, he gives 50% of what he has. In scripture, you do not, when you defraud somebody and you get caught, you have to give them back their money and then some, but it is not 400%. It was actually a Roman thing to give four times the amount. And so Zacchaeus actually goes with the more generous amount when he says, if I've defrauded anybody, and trust me, the man has defrauded people. He made his life doing that. He says, I'm going to give them four times the amount that I have defrauded them. What is happening here? One guy doesn't receive salvation because he will not let go of his money in greed. Another receives it and starts giving away massive amounts of money. See, the thing about the gospel, the thing about the good news, when you realize what Jesus has done, when you realize who you are and the fact that he will still come and talk to you, Despite your past, despite who you are, despite what you have done in life, when you realize that, man, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, he will still come to an unrighteous sinner like me and receive me into his kingdom. When you realize that good news, something happens. Your main source of joy, your main source of security, your main source of contentedness, and your main source of peace no longer become your material possession. It becomes Jesus. It becomes the good news of salvation for your life. See, the thing about money is these are all the things that money offers you. But what money will not tell you is it offers you these things in a false sense of gratification. Hey, if you have me, you'll have security for your future. If you have me, you'll be happy. If you have me, you'll be content. You won't have another need in the world. But yet, the more that you crave it, the more that you want it, the more that you get it, the more that you need of it. See, money, when met with the gospel, loses its power over your decision-making, loses its power and control over your life. Zacchaeus responded in an incredibly different way than the rich one, young ruler. The one who is greedy becomes generous, and the one who is supposed to be generous was exposed as greedy. So the crowd gets upset. They look at Jesus accepting someone as low as Zacchaeus, an obvious sinner, and they're mad about this. You had just said that it's, it's hard for rich people to get to heaven. You, you, th this man that has followed the law his entire life, who 
We believe you have blessed. This man is not making it into heaven, but now you are declaring that Zacchaeus, the sinner, Zacchaeus, the one who has defrauded us, Zacchaeus, the one who has betrayed his own people, Zacchaeus, the one that has taken the side of the oppressor, you, you, you declare salvation in his home? You eat dinner with this man? This is not cool, Jesus. What? What are you doing? And Jesus says this. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. See, Jesus stated to Zacchaeus, I must come stay at your house. I must come stay at your house. This was his mission. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came for the worst of us. He came for the people that needed him, for the people that looked and said, there's nothing inside of myself that I can obtain righteousness with. There's nothing inside of my life that I can make it into heaven. Jesus was looking for the people that acknowledged in their own strength, there's no way I can do this. And so they have to look elsewhere. See, the, the moment that we think that we are good enough to make it into heaven on our own, what we're actually doing is we are rejecting Jesus in our lives. We are rejecting who he is. We are rejecting his mission. We are rejecting what he came to do, to seek and to save the lost. When we are good enough, when we are righteous enough, when we are, if you've been Christian for a while, when we are sanctified enough, we stop needing Jesus in our lives. Uh, I got over that. I'm good. You know, I, I don't deal, you know, that was my old, you know, I don't deal with that anymore. I, I don't need to pray as much. I don't need to be with God as much. Jesus says this to Zacchaeus, I must come stay at your house. See, Jesus came to seek and to save the ones that we do not want to make it into heaven. When I think about this, I think about the story of Jonah. Jonah in the Old Testament, he's an Old Testament prophet. He has a crazy story. Jonah in the Old Testament, what he did was God said, Jonah, I want you to be my witness in Nineveh. I'm going to destroy that city. And if you do not go and preach about me and my righteousness, I'm going to have to destroy them. But I want to give them a chance to repent. And Jonah is mad about this. And he's mad about this because Nineveh is the city that had conquered his people, Israel. They were under different rulers at this time. And so Jonah is looking at God and he says, God, you want me to go preach to save the people that have destroyed my people? If the only thing that's stopping them from being destroyed is repentance, guess what? I ain't going to preach repentance to them. I hope you destroy them. So what does Jonah do? He jumps on a boat going the exact opposite way of Nineveh. And if you know the story of Jonah, then you realize that God was not going to let him get away. He wanted someone to go preach repentance to that city. 
So he brings the storm, the people throw Jonah overboard, God brings a whale that give him, keep him company for a few days, spits him out on shore, and he says, guess what, you're going to Nineveh. You know, at that point in your life, you're thinking, yeah, I guess I'm going to Nineveh, you know. But God is looking to save the very people that sometimes we hate most in our life, that we think, I, if God told me to witness to that person, guess what? I ain't winning. I hope they burn in hell. Don't lie like you never thought of that. Like, oh, judgment is coming to you, brother. Just wait. Wait till you stand before God. I know it's going to happen. But yet when you read this passage, when you understand scripture, those are the very people that God is after. Those are the very people that sometimes are the most open to him. Those are the very people that realize the, the, the depravity in their heart, that realize the darkness that they have been entrenched in and are longing for someone to come and save them, for someone to love them, to someone to care for them. You know, I was, I was, I was praying last night. I was thinking about Zacchaeus and how much he was hated. I was thinking about Jonah and Nineveh, and I couldn't help but think about what was happening in Charlottesville. And the immediate reaction is, I can't believe what is going on. Like to think in 2017 that we have hundreds of people standing outside on a racist platform, spewing hate and spewing garbage, it's, it's overwhelming in disbelief for me that this is our nation in this day and age. And it brought, and I mean, it brings sadness, you know, and I, as I read the headlines and you read about people fighting each other, at this point killing each other yesterday, cursing all day. I mean, this, this place has become a place of hate. And it's very easy for me at that point to think, I hate these people. Like, what is, what is wrong with them? Like, when they get to hell, they're going to deserve every moment that they get. But I felt God asked me a question in this moment. What if one of them walked through the pearly gates with you? Would you be upset? You know, it's really easy to look at the Jews in this passage and say, how could they be so religious? How could they be so mean that Jesus is trying to save somebody's soul from hell? And they look at that and they get frustrated and they get angry. But then we look at today and we look at Charlottesville and what if Jesus was looking to save some of those souls? It's easy then to realize like maybe they weren't so off. Maybe I would get upset at that too. If one of those people, those, those bigots, those racists, those nationalists, those, those prideful, arrogant people, if one of them walked through at me, I would look at them and say, you do not deserve this. God, what are you thinking bringing them with me? But yet Jesus declares his mission strongly and firmly. He came to seek and save the lost. I cannot think of any more lost than the people that are marching there today, yesterday, Friday. You know, a lot of times in our life, there will be people that we cannot stand, that we 
hate and we lash out of them. We gossip about these people. We talk negatively about them. You know, we get home from our job and, you know, whoever will listen, we, we talk about, man, my coworker is such a moron. I can't stand them. They are intentionally trying to get at me at work. They're trying to subvert everything that I'm doing. We think uh, about our bosses. We think about people that work for us, like how incompetent they are. And we think about sometimes family members, like what is wrong? They keep on betraying me. They keep on stabbing me in the back. Every time I give them another chance, they just come and they do it again. And we become divisive. We become hateful. We become bitter. We talk about how much we can't stand them and how much we want them to go away. And sometimes we think it, sometimes we say it. I wish they would just die. I wish they just wouldn't be around anymore. Like, why, God, why do you give this person breath when they wake up? If we're honest with ourselves, we've had thoughts like that about people. People that have annoyed me, I've prayed, God, fire that person. (laughs) But what if God is instead asking you to join him in his mission to seek and save the lost? What if instead of speaking negativity, gossiping about that person, allowing hatred to fill your heart, allowing bitterness to find a deep root and a seed in your life, instead of that, what if he was calling you to pray for them? What if he was calling you to be a a peacemaker in their life? What if all that person has known has been hatred, has been gossip, has been demeaning attitudes, have been people that have never looked past their surface and have never seen them for who they are, a creation of God? What if you were the person that God was calling to witness to them, was calling to say, give them another chance of repentance before my judgment comes upon them? See, a lot of times we we talk about the mission and we talk about evangelism and it's, it's you know, hey, I want to get my best friends on board with this so we can experience this great life together. And that's great, but what about the loss? What about the ones that are truly desperate for God, the ones that nobody wants to go to, the ones that all we have in our heart towards them are contempt and hatred? That was Zacchaeus. And Jesus had a crowd of people around him. He could have probably stayed wherever he wanted that night. But God was working in his heart. And Jesus saw it and he looked at Zacchaeus and he said, I must stay at your house. And this man who was despicable, this man who, his his job was not a job that you had to wonder if they were stealing or not. His job where his very profession was that of a profession of a sinner. You could not be in that profession unless you were sinful. This was the man that Jesus decided to stay with. And what I hear God saying today is he is calling us on mission with him. That we must be with the people that are marginalized, that are hated, that are cast aside, 
the outsider, the clear sinner. Like there's no doubt this person is a sinner. Instead of giving in to cultural norms and ignoring them and gossiping about them and hating them and growing bitter towards them, what if we love them? See, Jesus said it's, it, it means nothing if you love the people who love you. Anybody can do that. What marks a Christian, what marks a follower of God out from the crowd is when you love the people who hate you. When you love your enemies, that is the true marker for someone that has the fruit of Christ in their life and someone who doesn't. Can we be on mission with Jesus? That we look in our own hearts, the next time somebody annoys us, the next time someone walks in the room and our immediate reaction is disgust, can we say, God, how do I show your love to this person? Is it just in asking them to come over to your house or inviting yourself to hang out with them, maybe buying them dinner one day, hanging out with them because they're so used to people hating them, so used to people not liking them, not wanting to spend time with them that they may be thrown for a loop that somebody would actually want to be with them today. All Jesus did was he invited himself over Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus received salvation from that. My prayer for us today is that God would help us see people with his eyes. Not what culture has labeled them. Not what they have done to us. Not for who they are to me. but for the mission that Jesus came to earth for, to seek and to save the lost. I'm gonna invite us to stand. Father, we worship you today. know that this is hard. God, to receive only hatred, to receive only contempt, to receive only betrayal from people, yet to turn around and to love them, to witness to them, to give them a chance to repent that they may receive you to spend time with them in their own homes, to eat a meal with somebody that has wronged us. God, this seems impossible. But we thank you that the good news is that what has been impossible for us is made possible with you. Lord, back then it was the tax collectors. Today it's the bigots the racist. It's the coworker, the family member, the friend that never leaves it alone. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would divinely intervene in our hearts and that you would teach us to love the people who have wronged us. 
that you would teach us to care for the people who are hated, the people who are marginalized, the people who are outcast, Father, the ones that no one cares for, the ones that everybody looks down upon. Father, teach us, Lord, to go to them and to give them a chance of repentance, that we would repent ourselves for being like Jonah, to run the other way, to go the opposite that you have called us to go, but Lord, that we would be like you and that we must be on mission. Father, we praise your name this morning. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you transform and renew our hearts. And that through your power, we can walk in this love and be on your mission. We can see people come to the fullness of your gospel that is the power of salvation for all those who believe. Lord, the worst of us who we never thought would receive you, I thank you that you will open up doors for us to witness and that we will see your miraculous power work in their hearts and that they would receive you there's any of us here that have looked in our own hearts and we've said there's no way we can be received for what we've done that we would know today that we are received and we are loved by you in Jesus name we pray